Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast, listeners. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for what I'm sure will be a great conversation about Pixar's newest original animated picture is my best friend and co-host, Patch. Hello, everyone. This week, we are excited to discuss a movie about adventure, brotherhood, supporting your kids, and many other things. So with no reason for delay, no big announcements to make, we're still here and kicking, no coronavirus concerns. That's kind of a lie. I'm... Darn near close to quarantine, probably. Wash your hands. <laughs> Everyone wash your hands right now before you even proceed. This is not just a spoiler warning. It's also a sanitation warning. Wash your hands. And don't go buy all the toilet paper because yeah. some of us are going to need that, especially if you're in Seattle with me. My goodness, Patrick. All it's, it is already getting crazy. Like I, I can't even tell you. It's, it's wild. Oh my gosh. Well, in the natural state, we're not faring any better. I mean, we don't have the craziness that you do in terms of like the outbreaks, but I was at uh, Walmart this morning picking up our weekly grocery order and the guy told me that they had a record number of online orders the day before at 400 because of all the coronavirus nonsense. People stocking up on their Chef Boyardee and I'm just like, look, it's like the flu. Just be safe, be sanitary. Um, okay. Well, maybe I'm taking it too lightly, but that's just me. No, it, I mean, it's, I, it's fascinating to me to hear it from another perspective of a different place in the country that really doesn't have a problem with it yet, because I, I get the response from my city where the number of cases are being confirmed and, and, and jumping by dozens every single day that I wake up and deaths are continuing to pile up. But I don't understand it from somewhere that hasn't even had it yet. Like, I guess, it's just uh, there. We've all seen too many movies, Patrick. We've all seen too many movies, and yes. we we think that this is how it's going to go down. And that the, you know, heck, we did a podcast on something similar to this. Uh, <laughs> we did an interview on that uh, podcast. I forgot what it's called now. It was narrated by Rami Malek. Yeah. Out, outbreak? Yeah. No, no, that's not it. Uh, outrage? No. Uh, <laughs> out, out. Turned off the lights. Something about turning off the lights. What was it called? I Do forget you, now. Oh my goodness. Ah, it's going to kill me. Okay. Because it hasn't come back yet, I don't think. I don't, I, I, anyway, yes. It's, it's too much to be worried about. And pop culture has forced us into this place where we're stealing food from each other and not washing our hands enough, apparently. Apparently. Wash your hands. That's it. Wash your hands. So much for saying no delay. But here's your spoiler warning for Onward. We are going to talk about this movie in detail, its themes, etc. So if you haven't seen it, which sadly not enough of you have, hopefully more of you will get out to see this film soon and you'll be able to join us and hear this conversation, this deep dive into its thematic meat because it is a good one. With that being said, Patrick, what is your one word takeaway? I left the theater feeling very confident, uh, not only in... The fact that my son went with me, again, I'm loving this. The fact that my son gets to go to these movies with me now and be coherent, not just saying, hey, when can we leave? But feeling confident that he is going to enjoy it. And he did. He thought he had a blast with it. But I also felt confident in Pixar as a studio. You look, I don't think there's really any bad Pixar movie out there. 
Save the Good Dinosaur. I have not seen it yet. I'm just taking your word for it. Gabriel Green would have different words to say about it, but I digress. The fact is, Pixar is a reputable production company. They are a fantastic animation studio, but lately we've gotten so many sequels and sequels and not even remakes, but sequels that I've gotten to a point of saying, Pixar, the reason I loved you, the reason I continue to love you is the fact that you produce really great stories, but really refreshing original stories. And I hadn't had that. Obviously, I wasn't as high up on Toy Story 4 as you and Kales were. And the last several have just not been the wow factor for me. Coming out of Onward, I was a little apprehensive going in because I didn't have that kind of D&D mentality, that kind of quest. You know me. I don't like epic fantasy. Not my thing. Lord of the Rings is probably peak for me, and that is probably all there is to that. But, oh my gosh, Aaron, I have a newfound confidence in Pixar's original storytelling, in trusting them to trust their animators, to trust their storytellers, to not have to reach back into the well and still be able to give us that Pixar punch with ideas and themes and those feel-goods that really, really make us connect with characters that I didn't expect to connect with. I left the theater going, oh my gosh, I would love to have a pop of any one of these people that I've, not people, these <laughs> creatures that I've seen on screen. And so, yeah, I felt incredibly confident in the future of what uh, Pixar is going to bring us. It got me really, really excited about Soul. I, I cannot wait to see that now. I was already excited, but now I'm like, okay, great. Two original Pixar movies. 2020 is going to be a good year. I feel it. Yeah, I think that I would agree with you overall and echo all of your statements there because I too did not go into this with a lot of high expectation. I, I kind of was down on it. It didn't have a ton of marketing. The marketing that it did have certainly didn't represent the story that we were going to get. I'm sure part of that was supposed to be intentional in order to kind of save which I'm glad in one way that that happened because it, it did get to catch me off guard. But it also just, I think, led to what has been a really disappointing opening weekend at the box office, unfortunately, for this film. Because it looks like another generic fantasy movie in a Pixar world. It doesn't look like anything special. And yet it really was. But my film or my one word takeaway from the film was challenge. And, you know, throughout his adventure, I felt like Ian has to challenge himself. And he, he does this in so many different ways, whether it's the challenge of learning how to use magic, whether it's crossing an invisible bridge, learning how to drive, trusting his brother's unconventional advice, or even ultimately having the challenge of trying to accept Barley for who he actually is and how he views his brother's place in his life and how he views his need for his father in his life. There's just a whole lot of challenge going on for Ian in this movie. It's a lot. It's sort of like a coming of age story in a way, but I don't really think it's directly. It is, I don't think he changes in a big sense overall. I think it's much more specific to his family uh, in the way that he changes. And, you know, leave it to Pixar to do the same thing to the audience, because I feel like they really 
challenged what we expected from a traditional adventure quest type of story. Like you said, that epic fantasy that you're not really a fan of, they challenged us and they gave us this deeply affecting family drama mixed in there and once again kind of blew us away with it. So I was really excited. I think our words are both uh, ones that go really well together. All right, well, Onward opens with some backstory and narration that explains how the world got tired of using magic because it was difficult, and they fell into this easy use of technology and scientific advancement. So essentially, the movie sort of sets up this scenario where the world is no longer taking risks, and it's all about convenience. It's basically Earth (laughs) with elves. Uh, In what ways did you think that the movie was claiming that these things were bad? And also, did you think that maybe it was saying that they aren't necessarily bad? I guess, I guess broadly, I'm just curious if you felt that there is a message to this movie that goes beyond the emotional family character depth part of the story. There is a message, but it's the same kind of thing that Wally gives us, where we have a social commentary, but it's not at the forefront of the narrative. And I think that works well for a movie like Onward and for someone like me who goes into this not really wanting to see trolls and wizards and magic to start off by saying, hey, magic is what we're going to be talking about. And it used to be awesome. And instead, we've embraced laziness and convenience and the world of cell phones and technology. So, yeah, there's definitely an appeal to not only kind of make that kind of commentary, but I think it's really equally about bringing a general audience to the forefront. Because when you look at that genre of storytelling, epic fantasy, it's not going to appeal to everybody. And the box office numbers really kind of reflect that sometimes. But when you start a story by saying, this is the world we're coming from, but we're bringing it to the modern world, I think that creates a connection for an audience. And particularly speaking for myself, it allows me to be able to say, ah, okay, I can connect the dots there and it's not distracting anymore. It, and I, and I like the fact that it's not that way the whole time. Like we get the introduction and we're done and it motivates these characters. But at the same time, it's not the thing that's like, We've got to have magic. We've got to have magic. Because at the end of the movie, we almost get this kind of balance. We get a sense of harmony where magic is sort of intertwined with the modern day stuff. They didn't go backwards. They went onward and they kind of had to go forward to go back. And the thing that appealed to me was this appreciation for the past and its effect on the present and future and how – We're not meant to necessarily live in the past, but we use the past to affect how we live in the moment and how we live uh, forward. I mean, these are themes that I think are really relevant today that Pixar uses in this story to help kind of connect us to that. Yeah, I I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that it's definitely not trying to take the stance that, hey, technology is bad or, hey, technology is good. It's, hey... Technology is a thing that exists, and science will always advance. And as it does, that doesn't mean that we need to allow it to overtake our ability to connect with other people and to lose the metaphorical magic in the world. It doesn't mean that we need to 
necessarily go back in time and start using leaves to wipe our butts. Toilet paper is a good thing. It's okay that it exists, right? Even if it's scarce these days, apparently. (laughs) It is, but there is an element, too, to what barley is all about, right? Quests. These are communal activities that people go on. Adventures. They do this together. Even his board game, he wants Ian to play with him. This is something you do together. You don't do it alone. Ian is a social, you know, invert. uh, Invert? That's not a word. Introvert. Introvert. He is an introvert, yes, <laughs> and he doesn't get out much. He's got uh, issues with trying to, you know, hang out with other people. He's he's sort of on his own, and so Barley is not like that. Barley is kind of bringing him out into the open as well, and that's sort of what happens a lot with our technology too. Is like we tend to huddle around it and become focused, hyper focused on it in ways that takes us out of being as social as we were before that. And I think that there's a little bit of a fun nod and commentary to the fact that people generally can be a lot less kind these days, it feels like, when someone is on a cell phone and their face is stuck in it and they you can't get their attention. Um, but I love just the idea of a wizard with a staff who does magic instead of necessarily all of there being this battle between them, like the, the person is using it to light a fire for a family in need, right? There was something really sweet about that. It felt like the opening montage was showing us just a society that was much more present and aware of each other than the one that we currently have. And then the other part of the message that really kind of felt very on the nose for me is just this idea of like Barley as an activist, because I mean, at one point he is literally like, tied to a natural landmark saying, no, don't knock this down. Um, and it's done in such a humorous way. And of course it's really essential to the story at the end, you know, that landmark is holding a key piece of history that allows them to defeat this dragon and save the day. Well, I mean, they bring out the dragon, so they're kind of responsible for having to do the save the day thing anyway, but at least they did. Uh, and, you know, there it is, but he's very active and he keeps telling people, hey, don't let this completely go away. Don't forget about the past, right? If we tear it all down and we build over everything, we are going to have a complete society that doesn't remember anything about our ancestors that came before. I was actually thinking very much in terms of like Native Americans when I was watching it. I was like, man, this is exactly what happens. Like we push that whole world out to the point where I mean, it feels like in America, and I live in an area that is very Native American heavy at one point in history and still has some reservations, but it feels like that's something that is just quickly, it's going extinct, is our like ability to consider what was here before us. Like We're just trying to take over everything, and Barley is all about saying, hey, no, don't do that. Like, we, we've let some of this history remain. It's still important. There's also something to be said about, maybe not in terms of the pacing of the movie, but the ideas that Barley is trying to enact have to do with slowing down a bit. I mean, you look at the tabletop game, that game would take a while. I mean, if it's something akin to Risk or D&D, things like that, these are games that take three, four, five hours. These are not like you're playing Uno or you're walking through uh, just a quick game of checkers or whatnot. You are playing chess. You are playing spades you are 
communal, as you mentioned, but you're also doing it at a pace where you're enjoying the moment, you're being in the moment. And that's what I think is really great about this story is that you have these two characters that are on this adventure together and the adventure takes them all over the place, but it does it in a way that doesn't feel like they're having to get their, yes, they're having to get there quickly because they have a time limit, but the time they spend together, ultimately the big impactful moments are when they do slow down. And I think that's by design where the, the Pixar team is trying to tell us it's okay to breathe. It's okay to take in the moment. Uh, today, we had probably one of our prettiest days of this early spring. And my son and his friend who spent the night with them, all they wanted to do was play the Wii. And look, I'm guilty of that too. I'm all about the electronics. I'd rather stay in than go out. But you got to take advantage. And by taking advantage, it's almost like Ferris Bueller says, if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And I think that Onward gives us that chance to experience the world around these two individuals that they wouldn't have known had they not had to go on this adventure and had they not taken the time to spend doing this together. So yes, it was definitely fast paced, but I think that, you know, you're not hanging by a cell phone. You're not Googling things. I mean, you're on this adventure together, experiencing things as they come to you. Yes, you are. And it's a quest because that's what it's called when you're in a fantasy world is it's a quest. You're going on a quest to accomplish a thing and hopefully slay the monster and get the gold or whatever the case may be. In this case, it's a Phoenix gem that essentially will allow them to finish casting the spell that was only partially cast the first time. I really loved the construction of the quest in this, I thought it was kind of the perfect balance of interesting elements that I could definitely relate to as a typical adventure journey in a D&D story. Okay, like as someone who plays these games, who has roleplayed plenty myself, and who loves the fantasy genre, it feels like a formula that I'm so used to, but at the same time, it's easy enough to understand that my kids and they're teenagers, but I feel like it's not something that many kids are going to get too confused over. Like, I feel like it was pretty clear and I, I'll be, I'll be curious to hear about Carson and if he understood what the quest was essentially, if you ever even asked him that question, but you know, it's got monster encounters, it's got puzzles that have to be solved. It's got interesting NPCs. That's non-player character for those of you who are not gamers, uh, in that's something like the Manticore, uh, is, uh, you know, someone who you come upon during your quest that aids you and gives you information. So I guess I loved it, man. I thought it was phenomenal. I came out of it so, so happy the first time. And I was like, wow, Pixar plus D and D like, I didn't know this could be a thing. We, we haven't even gotten any really good D and D movies. And this is, feels like the first one. And I mean, it's going to be hard to top it because no real D&D movie is going to come with this sort of an emotional punch to it, right? But from your perspective, the non-big fantasy guy who doesn't read novels of Drist and, you know, other D&D characters, how did it work for you as far as the quest itself? Like, was the progression fun and understandable? And did you have any, like, favorite parts of the quest? 
Well, I really liked it a lot, and I think it had to do less with the fact that it felt like a quest and more that it felt like an adventure story, something akin to Indiana Jones or Uncharted. I mean, you and I have been talking about Mr. Nathan Drake and all of his adventures over these last several months. I'm in the middle of Uncharted 3, which I'm happy to say I've made incredible progress with with this Uncharted series, and that's really what was calling back to me was the sense of puzzle solving and going on these different um journeys where you have to go to different countries and you're using different modes of transportation and you have a sidekick and really great dialogue. So I didn't see it as a quest in terms of that fantasy aspect of it, but I think that that speaks to the fact that a hero's journey doesn't have to look like a D&D story. It doesn't have to look like an Indiana Jones story. It's very relatable to anybody. And I think having those modern elements, having Guinevere, as this great van, as their, quote, horse that takes them on this journey that carries them, I thought was a great addition. Loved, loved, loved the convenience store scene. I think you have this really great mashup of medieval meets modern, and I think it was personified in such a hilarious way in that whole sequence. I think that was probably one of my favorite moments. I also enjoy the... The use of magic on modern things, like, for instance, the the river scene where they're going down the stream and they make that big giant cheese puff. I think that's fantastic. Things like that that allow me to be familiar with what I don't care for and tying it into what I know so well. It's like saying, hey, what if? And it's that's part of what Pixar does. They ask the question, what if? When you start with a series like Toy Story, what if these toys actually came to life? And now we've gotten to a place where what would happen if we took this medieval world and we dropped it in the 21st century? And that's what we get. And that fantasy epic quest feels a lot more relatable. I'm glad you mentioned that, like the cheese puff thing. I agree. I think it's really cool because it's it's merging D&D actual spells things that are part of the world of almost any like magic based type game or universe and you're taking those things that a hardcore nerd like myself gets excited about seeing and you're making it fun by using it on a cheese puff you're also encouraging creativity and just imagination because a lot of times we get, I think that's what you're getting at. Like we get stuck. I get stuck as a fantasy guy of like expecting things to go one way. You know, I see taverns that I go into as a character and need to get a quest all the freaking time. Well, they're not, they're not ever Chuck E. Cheese, but that's hilarious. And it makes it make sense to the kids in a way where they understand exactly what I understand. But yet it's relatable, like you said, because it's something that they, have seen themselves in person. They've done, they've experienced. Um, I, but yet I also get the fun D and D side of this, right? Where the gelatinous cube, I can tell you waiting on the gelatinous cube was one of my big moments for this. I was so excited. I just, I was like, please tell me this thing is coming because it is one of the most iconic monsters in the D and D universe. Now, if you're not a big fan of D and D or you don't really play it or follow it and you're not into fantasy, you may not have known what a gelatinous cube was. So it's good that Barley explains it. Right. And it still plays out as a way that kids will be like, Oh, that's a cool new thing that I'd never seen before. And my kids were asking me, they're like, what is that? Like they were wanting to know more about it. And I was 
getting excited. Like there's a pop figure, you know, like I need it. Um, of course, cause that's my answer to everything. Patrick is there's a pop figure. I need it. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that the, having the gelatinous cube in there was really cool. Like taking the dragon and having it be an actual dragon, in essence, a spirit dragon, but yet it's made from whatever is around it. So it becomes hilarious looking when it's got this dragon mascot piece of concrete as its face. You know, I just thought the merging of everything in this quest was it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And I I was blown away and not expecting it based on the trailer at all. Um, You know, one of the other elements that I don't think we talk about as much in movies when we have stories about brothers is the mom or the dad. And in this case, it's mostly the mom because the dad is just legs and then the dad is sort of like the quest. He is the goal, but Ian and Barley's mom plays a pretty significant role in this story from almost the very first scene. Maybe the very, I guess the montage is the first scene, but from the first scene with Ian and her getting, you know, some interactions with the boys. We start to learn how her parenting style is. We learn that she is a single mother and has been for a very long time. She's working out, so we know she's all about wanting to be strong. Uh, it's setting setting us up for that final moment in the end, of course. But I love what happens with her because she goes after her boys. And she ultimately ends up joining the Manticore and trying to make sure that her boys are safe. And... I think that there's something to be said about the depiction of her and the importance that she has in their lives and the way that she relentlessly pursues them, not in order to stop them from what they're trying to accomplish, but to help make sure that they're safe while trying to accomplish what they want to accomplish because she understands their goals and she knows that because it holds value for them, it holds value for her. She's an anchor for them. I think that's what I got more than anything is that you look at her as someone who wants her kids to be safe, but she gives them the freedom to make mistakes. She gives them the freedom to be able to explore and see the world for themselves. And I think that they understand and respect that there is this great little parallel bookend between the beginning and the end of the film where you, you see her doing the same thing, essentially working out, but there's a strength about her that we didn't know she had until we see her go through this. And what I think works well is that it does feel believable. It does feel like she's not just playing a mom character. She's not just there because they need parents. (laughs) Otherwise this would be an orphan story. She had to be strong for her kids because her husband died. And I think that Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays her really, really well. I kind of, my personal take, I wanted, the way she looked made me want to hear her with kind of a Minnesota accent, you know? But I think that when you see her go throughout the story, you, and the way she interacts with the Manicor, she inspires people. She inspires her kids without necessarily having to do much. She just, that's just who she is. And I think it's because of the fact that she's had to live 
a number of years being that strength, being that single parent for them. And I think she understands that because they don't have a father figure, because they only have each other in terms of their masculine relationships, they need to be able to spend time together. They need to be able to make mistakes, go, fail, succeed. And this adventure that they're on, it would play out so much differently if she was trying to keep them from that. But she's really all about protection. More so, she's about giving them that chance to shine and giving them that chance to be adventurous, but she's still a mom. And I think that her role in that by the end isn't one of hero. It's one of team member. It's one of part of that, that crew of people. She is their equal in terms of what they accomplish. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. And, you know, I wasn't even going to talk about him really. I didn't have anything written down, but, um, the, <laughs> I want to call him main man. Cause that's what it shows up. <laughs> on in her phone what's his name bronco officer bronco right yeah yeah um i forget his first name maybe we don't even know his first name Uh, fabio is what i'm gonna call him but uh bronco officer bronco you know he's an interesting little character too because he's essentially like a stepdad and i we they're not married to my knowledge at least not in the beginning of the story um feels like they're dating i think it's his girlfriend um but that gives it a really cool dynamic man like that's not something you typically see in movies is a single mother raising two boys who's a widow dating someone and having him be a part of their lives. You know what I mean? Like, that's just I really enjoyed that. And the way in which he is portrayed is really important, I think, as well, because he's not an a-hole, basically, is where I'm going with this. He doesn't immediately set off to stop the boys from what they're doing because it's wrong and he needs to set them straight. He actually is looking out for the boys in a way too. He's coming from a a different perspective and he's coming to it from more of his police perspective and he doesn't have that relationship with him that she has, right? Or with them, with the boys. And that's cool because it's something that I feel like grows over the course of his experience with them in this story. And we see that in the epilogue that their relationship is different now because of this. But I just, I really thought that that was a bold choice. And I like that Pixar is willing to step outside of traditional family dynamics and tell these stories, man, because not every freaking family out there has a mom and dad and a brother and a sister that are two years apart. Like mine did, you know, like, like you don't, everybody's not the same. And it allows people to kind of get an understanding of those relationships when they're not a part of them themselves. Yeah, it's a it's a realistic way of looking at the family dynamic. And it pays tribute to that one parent, whether it's a dad or a mom who has to take the mantle and really be the parent step up and stories can play that any way they want to. You know, The Way Way Back is a great example of this, where you have a strong parent and you have a an a-hole for a boyfriend. And this could have played out that way. Grateful that it didn't, because by the end of the movie, again, we get a believable relationship that these these boys have with this boyfriend. They, It's not like they were trying to gain his respect or vice versa. They just affirmed what 
he already was. And the thing is, is that he changed as a result of their adventure as well. That great last shot where it's hilarious. You know, he lets his mane down and he runs off into the sunset because he doesn't need his vehicle, I think is a nice little accent piece. It's a hilarious accent piece, but it reminds us that it's not on the parents to influence their kids. It can be on the kids to influence the parents as well. Totally, totally on the same page with you there. Well, at the end of the film, Ian has to make this huge choice. Fight the dragon and let Barley be the one to see their dad. Or be the one to see his dad, because he's been fighting to do that the entire time, right? That was what this is all about. In fact, Barley was more about letting Ian see his dad as well. It felt like a very sacrificial thing almost on both their parts. And I know that they both wanted to experience that for different reasons, but Barley was definitely pushing for Ian, I think more so than he was even for himself. And ultimately Ian performs this caring and selfish act, or I'm sorry, selfless act definitely not selfish this is the opposite of selfless selfish those words are way too similar patrick they sound i, I haven't said self shellfish yet but i'm gonna that's the next one he performs <laughs> a shellfish act <laughs> so listen the whole climax of this film could have been a connecting point it is super fun it is propulsive like you said except for a couple moments that we're both going to point out that are our actual choices for connecting points but when you get to like the third act of this movie, man, it is an emotional wallop. And it's not just one scene. And that was what really made it powerful for me is it was not just like, okay, this thing, one specific moment happened and that's the Pixar punch. And then that's it. It felt like that entire third act was just building something inside of me that I couldn't really control and didn't even necessarily know it was happening until... I had this aha moment with the character and I've seen the film twice now and I had the same reaction both times, even felt like it was building up in me the second time around to where that whole third act, man, I am right there. I am invested and I care deeply about what is going to happen for both of these men, for Ian and Barley and whether or not they're going to get to see their dad. And I cry for one in happiness and I cry for the other in sadness. And so I was curious how you, reacted to that and do you think that ian made the i'm gonna put this in air quotes the right choice is it a choice you would have made essentially i'm curious about that and like who do you think it would have truly meant more for over the course of their lives to spend that three or four or five minutes with their dad oh that's a lot of questions um I'll try to be succinct if I can. I, I thought the entire third act was my connecting point at one at one point. And it wasn't one moment. It was several, but they were all coinciding with each other to matter. So you had one scene that was like, oh, gosh, that's an emotional gut punch. But it mattered more because of a scene 10 minutes later. And I this is where my confidence level grew because I hadn't felt that. I, I felt like we're going to get the Pixar punch, but not in a way that I'm not used to. And this felt like it was like, like, you know, punch after punch after punch. 
but it was also satisfying, Aaron. And I remember talking to you afterwards and saying, oh my goodness, I can agree with the criticism that the first act was a little bit slow, but man, once it gets rolling, that third act pays everything off. As far as the sacrifice that Ian made, I think that there's the obvious thing that's going on where the relationship with his brother started mattering more to him. He started seeing the significance of that. And there was a couple of hints along the way where Barley is talking about memories. He's talking about three memories at first. And then he talks about this fourth memory that he doesn't like to talk about. And I think it's in those moments where Ian realizes, look, I have the best memory of all of my dad, what I make of him. I don't have any mistakes. I don't have any kind of real moments that could bias me. I have this idea of my dad that is fantastic. My brother doesn't. He's got these tangible moments. And you know, if I'm Ian, I'm going, he needs that more than me. His last memory of his dad was one of pain, and he needs to have that redemption. And I felt like, wow, that's incredible to recognize that and to say, hey, he needs it more than me, and I want to give that to him. And to me, yes, that was a sacrifice, but I have to believe that it's a sacrifice where Ian has got joy in his heart to to give that to him. Absolutely. But it's it's also something that is – so rare it feels like I, I i can only attribute this to conversations i've been having on social media over the past couple of months i've been making a lot of social justice posts and there are commenters and friends that i have on various sides of pretty much every topic and a lot of what i have seen in my opinion boils down to folks who are not willing or able to see anyone else's need as more important than their own or even as important sometimes to be honest with you. And that's what I got out of Ian's decision was just this incredible act of maturity and growth. And like you said, an understanding of it's not just about this isn't going to to be of equal value to me and Barley. He knew that Barley, like you said, needed that. I love the word redemption moment. It's not being redeemed from necessarily a a poor choice. It it just it's what happened. He was a kid. You know what I mean? This is this is an unfortunate, horrible timing matter that took place. And he to go that deep and see it on such a very like I don't know how it just. He sees the outcome of Barley being with his dad and he can, he plays it out. Like I said in the question, right? He looks at it as what's going to have more value, not right here in this moment, in the completion of this quest and us being victorious and one of us getting to see dad. But like, what is it going to mean for us over the course of our lives? And of course, it's tied to this brilliant reveal of him seeing that list man and you know it's really hard not to pick that as a connecting point to be honest is just that moment of realization where the where where it clicks in his head and we're watching that in animation it's so depicted in such a great way 
and you see him going down the list, seeing all of these things and how Barley was a part of them. And I'm just, I'm weeping to be honest with you. And I don't even have a brother, but I'm just in tears because I'm like, man, that is amazing. And that's so sweet. And what's even more sweet about it, Patrick, is like Barley is not a character who's coming at him with this overbearingness saying, Hey, I'm your dad. I'm going to go take you to do these things. Barley's just doing them because it's a natural progression of Barley being his big brother and Barley's the one that's there. So I love that. I love that Barley's not like necessarily thinking of it in terms of trying to replace their dad. He's doing them out of just a genuine love for his brother. And it just so happens that it's filling the same void that Ian had because his dad's not there. Um, it's beautiful, 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 beautiful. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it is probably one of the best Pixar moments in the last probably five or six years. And again, I say that I say that very subjectively because someone could come up behind me and say, nope, it was this. And I'm like, you're probably right for you. But it's that rarity that really stands out to me and something that we don't not only see depicted on screen, but something that we don't necessarily believe happens in real life. There, there was a post on social media. I think Aaron Hunley put it out there of people being, I don't know what it was, but it was like 25 things that prove that life doesn't have to suck right now. And it's these great social media posts of people either doing something nice for somebody else or moments that people are proud of. And we need more of that right now, Aaron. I mean, in a world, in a country, in a, in a, on a planet where we are being bombarded with this thing, coronavirus, uh, where we're in an election year as Americans and we're trying to figure out what's going to be best for our country, politically speaking, which will probably not get answered even after the election, we need to be able to believe in the decency of human beings we need to be able to believe in the fact that people can be selfless and not expect something in return and that's what i think onward is showing us is that not once did i think hey ian's gonna get something later on for the sacrifice no he genuinely loved his brother enough to give him this and to say just because to me that unconditional love is something we don't see and we need to see more of. I need to model that. And I think it's something that people need to see this movie if for no other reason than just to get that message. That unconditional love can and does exist. We just have to be the ones to actually initiate it. Agreed. Agreed. And I love that we get a visual of him stuck inside the dragon. All the concrete in the world and a little window. Like it's as if he's looking out of like a prison cell. But he can see. And you can see on his face, the, like you said, the joy that he is taking in Barley being able to experience this. Um, and that is, it's, it's absolutely beautiful moment. And I, and I think that it's done in a way that can resonate with adults and kids alike. And that is what makes Pixar so special when they're on the top of their game. Well, did I miss anything that you wanted to go over there, buddy? Just some technicals real quick. Obviously, the animation is top-notch. Uh, the final battle sequence I thought was really, really amazing, especially with the makeshift dragon, you know, bringing – I just love that. Uh, the fact is Chris Pratt and Tom Holland need to do more movies together, 
not just voice work, but also live action. I want to see them in a buddy comedy of some kind. I gotta, I gotta tell, I tell you, man, I thought when we got this casting, I was like, okay, I'm kind of over this. Tom Holland's been in everything in the last five years, it feels like. And they've been together in Endgame and in whatever the one was before that, Infinity War. And, and I was like, I don't know. I just don't know if this is going to work. It is one of the best pair of voice acting performances together that I have ever heard. I was shook by how perfect I felt that they were. The chemistry is 100% there. And you're, you're absolutely right. I'm with you. I never would have thought I would say, say that going into this movie, but I am there coming out of it. Was that your last one? Sorry. That was it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was waiting scene. on more. Sorry. I was waiting on more technicals. That was uh, it. But yeah, I, uh, I completely agree with everything you're, you're saying. We did save a couple of moments to talk about under our little connecting point section. And, uh, why don't you go first? Because yours was also my, like super duper close number two. My connecting point was what I'm calling the dance or the scene where <laughs> I believe it's just after Ian and Barley get into this huge fight. Uh, Ian has basically revealed that Barley is worthless or he's he believes that. And we get this tension breaker of a moment where they're <laughs> half dad. <laughs> That's terrible. I can't say that. No, their dad in his legs comes out um and is beginning to dance to this song that Barley's playing inside his van. He starts dancing and then there's this moment where Barley says, No, he's not really doing it right, or let me show you what he would be doing, you know, from the waist up, and he starts kind of mimicking what his dad does, and then Ian comes around and all of a sudden you see these three characters dancing. It calls back to this idea of slowing down, taking moments to enjoy the people that you're with, the, in this case, the creatures that you're with. As someone who takes a lot of pride in being able to bring levity to a tense situation, particularly at work, this appeals to me because I think that seeing their dad dancing, even without the top half of his body, allowed them to take a moment, take a breath and realize, you know what, this is why we're on this quest. And in that moment, you see Barley saying, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. Trust me on this. This is something that I believe in. And Ian legitimately believes him. He says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to believe in what we're doing. And I think that that scene overall is one of those moments where we realize that as silly as it is, you can be bonded. You can have common ground in something as simple as just dancing. Um, I think that dancing allows tension to be broken. I think it breaks down the frustration or the stress that can exist in people and I think it's something that a lot of us can relate to. Now, I don't dance to relieve stress. I go for runs. I try not to stress eat. I don't necessarily find myself in my room dancing like nobody's watching. But the fact is, dancing is a lot like laughing. It's a release of an inhibition 
to allow you to just say, this is who I am. And in that moment, I think we saw that they could be completely free and open with each other and saying, this is who we are. And we're comfortable enough to do that. So why couldn't we be comfortable saying other things? And I think that started setting the road that they were going to go down physically, metaphorically, and understanding each other and being able to be brothers and really kind of find that connection with each other. So it starts with the dance for me. Yep. Yep. All those reasons are why it was so close to being my pick. And it is that perfect, like slow down moment before the conclusion of the film starts to kind of ramp up from that point forward. And you're right. I love that it starts with them being in a fight and essentially their dad brings them together. Even as half of a body without saying a word, their dad brings them together. And I thought of it that way, like as a parent, you know, if my children are upset and they're fighting with each other, like I want them to get over it. I want to find a way to remind them that they love each other and that they should forgive each other and they should trust each other. And their dad is able to do that without saying a word. And I don't see these characters as dancers either. Like that, that is not something that they do, but they're doing it because their dad's doing it and they want to do something with their dad. And I can tell you there's been plenty of times where my kids have done things that I wanted to do and that they really probably didn't want to do, but they wanted to do them to be part of it and be with me. And I really, really resonated with that as well. And like you, just the way that it sets them up going forward for the emotional changes that occur within them throughout the story. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. Um, it's really like 1B for me. I, it's not even number two. So <laughs> it's so good. The one that I want to talk about, though, so we can kind of cover two different ones, is The Invisible Bridge. And this kind of has a dual reason for me, but it's such a great movie moment because it comes at a time when they just have made up and Ian is specifically going out of his way now to try and trust Barley no matter what happens. And boom, here's an obstacle in which he's going to have to trust Barley, which is good storytelling. Of course, that's what's going to happen. It reminds me, because any time that we have to do something that scares us, I feel like we can get so much strength um, from the encouragement of a family member or a friend. And that is what Ian needs here. And that is what Barley performs or, or gives him, essentially. Barley is a quick thinker. He may be crazy and run around wild at times, but he's very fast on his feet. And he's always coming up with ingenious ideas. And he's a fixer, which is something I totally related to because he immediately sees something and he's going into problem-solving mode, Patrick, instantaneously. Like, that's what he wants to do. See problem, fix problem. But he also takes the time to try and put Ian at ease while he's doing that because he knows Ian has to get through this for them both to succeed. And it's an exciting scene. It's a scary scene. It reminds me of Indiana Jones, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it ultimately results in, of course, Ian making his way across and us holding our breath with Barley as the rope is now gone and Ian's just acting a fool, thinking he's got everything under control and he's just going to make it with no problems. I'm nervous. <laughs> I know that. And Barley is encouraging him. You got this. You got this, right? And ultimately, when they get to the other side, Ian yells at Barley initially, like, how did you not tell me? How long was I without the rope? But it 
results in Barley expressing overwhelming joy. And what is most important to me here is pride. He is so proud of Ian's accomplishment. He's not even, he doesn't even register that he's being yelled at. What I would do, Patrick, is I typically would respond to that defensively and be like, why are you mad? You got through it. But like, Barley doesn't do that. He's like, bro, that was awesome. You did it. Like you were the man. That is incredible. And I feel like that meant so much to their relationship. And it's it's a special bond that they have. And it's on display there. It's genuine admiration from his brother. And it was amazing to see that. And I think for all those reasons and the fact that it's just a really cool and kind of a, an iconic idea of having to cross an invisible bridge, seeing that get to play out in a Pixar film, that that very traditional fantasy roadblock, I, it was awesome for me. One of the moments that stood out for me in that scene was when <laughs> Ian steps and falls and he's caught by the rope. And I love Barley's reaction. He goes, see, now you know how it feels. So you don't have to be scared of it anymore. And the thing is, Aaron, there's truth to that. I know. Ian when realizes he, it too. He's like, no, okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So I know that's the worst that can happen, you know? And I just thought that was fantastic. Cause I mean, I feel that way too. It's like, okay, yeah. I mean, once I experience failure, then I know what it feels like. So I don't have to necessarily worry about what it's going to feel like. <laughs> it's just really, really good. Definitely one of my favorites as well. Well, that wraps up another episode here at Feelin' Film, and we are excited to stay theater-bound these next several weeks. First up, it's The Way Way Back, directed by The Miracle's Gavin O'Connor and starring Ben Affleck. Following that, we check out the unexpected sequel to A Quiet Place, aptly named A Quiet Place Part 2. Go figure. And then after that, it's live-action remake time as we discuss Disney's Mulan, without musical numbers and potentially other changes to its cartoon original. Aaron, thank you so much, my friend, for another great conversation. We'll talk soon, and wash your hands. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group, a link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.